0: Hello, and welcome to the Witch Hut. I'm your host, Chelsea Martinez, and I hope you're having a magical day. You might be treated to some delightful banging sounds in the background, because here in San Jose, we like to continue the legacy of Sarah Winchester through never-ending construction. It's officially cold brew season, and my tea leaf episode came not a moment too soon because my kettle is retired for the next six months. I love cold brew coffee because it feels so witchy to make this little filter and leave it in water to magically turn into coffee. Personally, I'm a huge fan of coffee and I think it's great to use in magic. It can give your spells a boost of energy and it's great in spells for luck and for love. Drinking coffee is also something you can base a ritual around, especially since most of us who like coffee and drink it daily have their own special way to prepare and enjoy it, and having that unique process can be magical, even if you've always thought of it as just mundane. In other news, I did a quick little guest spot on the Great Big Intergalactic Podcast, which is a podcast about making podcasts. In my first segment, I talk about how I very first started out and what motivated me to create the Witch Hut. The episode I'm on is lucky number 13, and although I'm sure Caesar didn't plan that out, it feels wonderfully witchy all the same. Okay, so I'll be the first to admit that I'm the kind of stick in the mud who hates April Fool's Day, which is one of the ways that I'm like a witchy version of Fraser Crane without the problematic worldviews. But in my witch's date book, I saw that it's called All Fool's Day And it's marked on the magical calendar actually i saw all fools day and looked it up and was disappointed to see it's just april fool's day which kind of felt like a prank and you can probably imagine how i feel about those maybe i ought to apologize for my april Fool's slander but i wouldn't mean it even if i did but this episode does release on april 1st and i'll confess i was intrigued Is there some kind of magical history to make this feel like something other than an excuse for adults to act like mean-spirited children? The origins of All Fools' Day are kind of a mystery. It's said to possibly date back to ancient Rome, which to me sounds very likely since it reminds me a little bit of Saturnalia which is the precursor to Christmas, and was generally known as a time of misrule and merriment. Saturnalia is actually where the Tudor-era Catholic tradition of assigning a subdeacon to be a lord of misrule or abbot of unreason began, a fact which I am including so that I can say something as delightful as abbot of unreason. It also reminds me a little bit of Floralia, which happened in late April and was considered a more plebeian holiday, as it was a fertility festival that included games and body shows and celebrations. All Fool's Day may have originated in France due to calendar confusion in 1564, when the official start of the year was moved from March 25th to January 1st. Out of a resistance to change or just simply forgetting when the year began, people were incorrectly wishing each other a Happy New Year, and this turned into an eight-day celebration where people sent each other gag gifts instead of the traditional New Year's presents they would typically exchange. This may have spread through Europe and eventually to America, where I unfortunately came into contact with it. Personally, I think that the French-based explanation also makes a lot of sense. Aries season begins around March 25th, and as the first sign of the zodiac, it's the start of the solar year, and there's not really very much done to mark the occasion. It's interesting that something that began as basically a renaissance era meme turned into a widespread holiday, and actually this did make April Fool's Day a little more charming to me. I think it's very easy to imagine the people of the past as very serious and very different from us, but they had jokes and apparently meme holidays. Imagine if in the year 2500, people still celebrated the day that all those internet dorks were going to storm Area 51, and then Canada had started celebrating that as well. I don't really know that I'd say that there are many magical connotations to All Fool's Day, but I do think it highlights the basic truth that humans have always been the same throughout any era. Something that witches of all ages, backgrounds, and experience levels seem to share is that they sometimes feel like they aren't real enough witches, or like other witches are better witches than they are. I'm absolutely including myself in this, and feeling like I'm not as real of a witch as other witches has been something I really struggle with. Imposter syndrome affects more than just witches, but I think that when it affects witches, there's something particularly insidious about it. For one thing, witchcraft isn't meant to be a meritocracy. There isn't like a prize or anything like that for being the supposed best witch, but even beyond that, there's not really a way to quantify if you're good at witchcraft or not. And for another thing, I'd say that if anything is meant to be completely about your personal experience and expression, it should be your spirituality. You can grow and improve in the sense that you'll become more experienced and have a better understanding of your own understanding of magic in the universe. But it's not like if you move slowly or if you aren't having these life-altering experiences frequently, you're any less of a witch than someone who does spend the time and energy it can take to have faster growth or more profound frequent experiences. Imposter syndrome as it relates to spirituality is kind of weird to me if I pick it apart even a little, which makes it easier for me to be my own advocate and negotiate it away. At its very core, no matter how many group practices you have or how social you are with other witches, spirituality is a private thing because no one can possibly grasp your understanding of the universe in its entirety. I think of it kind of like scent. If I smelled a powdery floral perfume, I usually perceive these notes as glamorous and feminine, but lots of people think that style of perfume smells stale and old. I might smell a perfume like that and associate it with a love goddess because it reminds me a lot of the old Hollywood bombshell quality that I feel coming from many love goddesses. But if you think that powdery floral smells stale and old, a love goddess might smell more like something sweet or fresh. A love goddess wouldn't smell like something you don't find attractive, just like a love goddess wouldn't come to me smelling like something I didn't think was very romantic. And then imposter syndrome comes along and says that if your unverified personal gnosis of that love goddess is her smelling like anything other than fresh roses, it means that your experiences weren't genuine or you aren't a good enough witch to experience her in the way that other witches do. I think that imposter syndrome creeps into witchcraft for a few reasons, and although I'm not a huge fan of the way social media is blamed for so many things, I do think that social media can really enable you to hang on to those imposter feelings. The truth is, pre-social media, you knew the witches around you, and that was it. You might have an awareness of more popular authors, but most of the witches you knew would be people you personally interacted with. And that's really just not the case anymore. I have an episode planned about gatekeeping witchcraft, and I'm sure I'll talk more about the way that influencer culture has affected the witch community then, so for now, I'll just say that it's very easy to find people who choose to share things that fit a certain curated aesthetic that may not be achievable for everyone. And I'm not really referring to anyone in particular, but it's very easy, and to some extent profitable, for a person to emphasize, if not outright fabricate, their success or their so-called witchy credentials. And if you see the highlight reel of someone claiming some things you might find very impressive and you compare it to your real day-to-day life as kind of an average person who happens to be a witch, you might come away from that feeling like you aren't as much of a witch as someone else. On a somewhat related note, although I think that the overall colossal amount of information that's available to us instantly is pretty amazing, it can also leave you feeling like if you aren't studying every single witchcraft-related topic you can, then you just aren't a real witch. It can feel like real witches are all well-versed in astrology, numerology, divination, correspondences, and beyond that, they all know it by heart. That's really not the case. No matter how much you understand something, you're going to have to look up a few tarot cards now and again. Another thing that I feel really informs those feelings of imposter syndrome is the way that capitalism and hustle culture shape our society. We're conditioned to approach anything at all as something you're supposed to win. And if you aren't winning, we're told that we're losing, and that's irrespective of the fact that not everything has a win-lose spectrum. It's impossible to lose at being a witch because it's also impossible to win at it. Basically, imposter syndrome is such a problem for so many of us because we're constantly put into situations where we're comparing ourselves to other people. So what can we do about that? Once again, I'm going to talk about looking at things with a critical eye. Lots of people want to make it seem like they're doing a lot better than they really are, and I think it's very common for someone who is generally very transparent in how they represent themselves to assume that others are the same way. You don't have to assume that everyone is faking everything, but learning to take things with a grain of salt can really help you talk yourself through any imposter syndrome feelings. And since you're looking at things with a critical eye, it's a good idea to turn that critical eye onto your own habits. Are you making a habit of consuming things that make you feel bad about yourself? It's really common to want to just soak up all the witch content you can find, especially if you've ever been in a position where you couldn't soak up that content to your heart's desire. But if you're consuming content that makes you feel like less of a witch, you need to hold yourself accountable for that and possibly make some healthier choices. And the same can be true of the relationships you form with other witches. Just because someone is a witch doesn't mean they won't undermine you or find ways to make you feel less than. And it's important to recognize that and set your boundaries accordingly. I think it's also very important to be able to be honest with yourself about your growth as a witch. And remember, honesty is not only negative or positive, it's just accurate. You shouldn't fabricate stories of spellwork gone right, but you also shouldn't overlook the spellwork that really did go right. And part of honesty is being realistic and being able to say that being able to manifest a reasonable home in your price range is not a failure just because it isn't the same as being given a mansion with no strings attached. Being realistic also means understanding all of the non-magical contributing factors that go into things that are supposedly achieved by magic so that you can separate your value as a witch from your so-called success rate. I've seen so many professional spiritual workers talk about how their practice has allowed them to prosper and build businesses that are incredibly successful in a market that's hard to earn money in. And I don't doubt that their magic has helped them, but that discounts the countless hours of work and the sacrifices they've had to make in order to get to that point. And it also doesn't mention the people who have helped them, either by being investors or offering them childcare, labor, or even just a cup of tea or a hot meal and a shoulder to cry on when they needed it anything you see that has been achieved by magic has so much that's not magic working behind the scenes, and if those non-magic things aren't possible for you, that doesn't say anything about your abilities as a witch. Something that I think that can really help mitigate feelings of not succeeding as a witch is to come to witchcraft for reasons beyond just wanting something. I'll be the first to say that you're unlikely to be handed a billion dollars and then get into witchcraft the very next day because by and large, people get into witchcraft because life isn't necessarily being very kind to them. I completely understand that a lot of people come to witchcraft because they have needs and there isn't anything that can guarantee that their needs will be met, so they may as well try witchcraft because maybe it'll help. I don't even think there's really anything wrong with it, because chances are, if you don't think you can afford to eat, you probably don't really have a lot of time to think about the meaning of the universe, and perhaps if your magical efforts have paid off and you feel more secure in your ability to feed yourself, you might want to think about the meaning of the universe. The key here is, of course, that at some point you'll ideally shift your goals from gaining something to having genuine spiritual experiences. The thing is, there aren't really metrics for spiritual experiences. You've either had a profound experience for you or you've not, and there are a ton of smaller variables, but only you can decide if your spiritual experience went the way you wanted it to or not. You can't even really hold up your personal experience to someone else's, because you could both be having completely amazing spiritual experiences, and they might look totally different. Focusing more on the way you actually experience witchcraft instead of just what you can use it for can help you feel more satisfied with yourself as a witch. So with regards to those concepts, what are some actionable things you can do to help lessen those imposter syndrome feelings? First, check your Instagram, your Reddit, Discord, whatever. Go through the communities you're part of and the people you follow and really consider how the people and the groups you interact with make you feel. I'm not saying this to give you a pass to disengage from anything that makes you feel uncomfortable. I'm saying to consider stepping away from anything that makes you feel like you aren't good enough. For me, I tend to question whether or not I need to follow people that post mostly professional quality aesthetic photos because while I think that's totally valid and I would never tell anyone not to post that, for me it puts the focus onto something that I'm not super interested in instead of focusing more on what I am interested in, which tends to be the real lives of other witches. I also tend to think that the more you throw yourself into your own practice and making it what you want it to be, the less you'll have room for imposter syndrome to take root. It's a lot easier to have a conversation with yourself about why your feelings of not being a real witch or a good enough witch aren't reflective of reality if you can confidently say that your practice is what you want it to be. Imposter syndrome can also provide a place to start with shadow work if that's something you're interested in. When you do shadow work, you're going deep within yourself and pulling up all the hidden fears, repressed feelings, and pain that you haven't processed yet. The things that trigger those feelings of imposter syndrome might be things that lurk in your shadows and want desperately to be brought into the light of day where you can work with them and heal them. Things that make you feel insecure might be things that you want but don't want to admit that you want, or they might be things that you feel you aren't able to measure up to. Journaling is a great first step, but I have also really enjoyed the shadow work videos that Kellyanne Maddox has on YouTube if you want something to help guide you through your shadow work journey. I always feel a little silly about this, but I really like affirmations. I think that finding something that really resonates with you that you can kind of carry in your mind as you move through the world can be really helpful. Oracle decks can be great for this, and even if you don't use one that gives you affirmations, most oracle systems assign each card a word or phrase that you can build your affirmations around. The pulp girls on Instagram also make some really wonderful illustrations of different affirmations, and I absolutely love those. I'm also a a very big supporter of therapy if that's something you're able to do. I know that the U.S. has a questionable healthcare system, so needing therapy and being able to afford it do not go hand in hand. But if you're really struggling with imposter syndrome or anything else and therapy is an option, consider this your sign. Imposter syndrome can be really hard to avoid, but I don't think the goal should be to just avoid it. I think it's better to find ways to work with it, because your imposter syndrome is trying to tell you something and it's not that you aren't a real witch. You are a real witch, but you might be one who's taking in things that aren't healthy for you or one who has some shadow work to do. It sounds cheesy, but there is so much room in the witch community for all different types of people, and you also make up a part of that vibrant tapestry. This week I'm using the Pagan Cats Tarot, and as you can probably guess, it's a cat-themed deck. I picked it because I like cats and, quite frankly, that's as much of a selling point as I actually need for anything, but I like this deck in particular because I think it's a really cool cat's eye view. Not really much is said about this deck since it came along before the tarot boom had really started and the focus was definitely not on the perspective of the creators at that time. That gives the deck a little bit more mystery, and instead of this being a pagan deck featuring cats, I like to think of it as a deck featuring cats who are pagans, but still live their nine lives, just like any other cats. Could it be so that all cats are pagans? Mine definitely are, but I advocate for the religious freedom of all cats. Anyway, I also really like this deck because the art style reminds me of the background illustrations for old Disney movies. Our card today is the Eight of Pentacles. This card is related to the gradual process of honing a craft. You might not be at a master level, but you can still take a moment to appreciate how far you've come before you get back to work. And if you're feeling discouraged, instead of working for perfection, just work towards improvement. I know that I'm a perfectionist, and although the stereotype is that a perfectionist tweaks their work endlessly until it reaches their impossibly high standard, in reality for most perfectionists, it seems like feeling that you'll never come close to that unrealistic standard keeps you from even making a start. Is there a dream you've been putting off until you feel like you can finally do it correctly? If so, it's probably better to just start and keep going until you see improvements. And with that, we're at the end of our time here in the Witch Hut. If you love April Fool's Day, you probably have lots of loved ones or even tertiary acquaintances who deserve to send you their therapy bills. But in all seriousness, thank you for listening and supporting me during my own Eight of Pentacles journey. You can keep up with the show on Instagram at the Witch Hut pod, or you can follow me at Chelsea the Witch for behind the scenes stuff, oblique hints to future episodes, cat pics, and hot takes about bad TV. And until next time, stay safe, healthy, and magical.